listening to the coffee hour i'm sarah golseth i'm andy bates we're talking with authors and creative people with words uh with the here i write conference brainchild of katie sherman that conference was supposed to happen this summer and unfortunately with the global pandemic it isn't happening but we're taking this opportunity to talk with some of the presenters and and give our audience here on the coffee hour a chance to learn from these uh these experts on their topics Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about them at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Today, we have with us Heather Smith, who is a somewhat familiar voice on the Coffee Hour, talking about education and Lutheran education. Uh, She's the wife of another familiar voice, Pastor Sean Smith, and mother to their son and writer for several publications. Uh, Welcome, Heather. Thanks for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. Thanks for having me. So your presentation, I'm really excited about this one, is the Rhetorical Architecture 101, which sounds really quite fascinating to me, and I'm looking forward to the next 12 minutes right now. Uh, First, what is rhetoric? What is the art of rhetoric? Right. It it's important that we sort of understand it because um, modern concept of rhetoric tends to be that it is, um, you know, just using inflated language to get what you want. That is not what we're talking about. Um, So I'll give you a couple definitions from some ancient authors. Aristotle said that the art of rhetoric is the art of discovering in any particular case all the available means of persuasion. So persuasion is one of the things we'll think about as we go through this. Another definition that I really like from a later author, uh, Quintilian, he says that rhetoric is the art of the good man speaking well. And I I think we'll we'll have uh, need to come back to that as well. So if we're thinking just in practical terms, what rhetoric does is it, it is a system uh, for thinking about writing and speaking originally, um, that takes into account in a really uh, comprehensive way the three essential aspects of any speech or piece of writing. And those are the author, the audience, and the writing itself. I mean, take any one of those away and you don't you don't have a piece of writing <laughs> or a speech, right? So <laughs> So those three things fit together in in some interesting ways, and that's what rhetoric looks at. Um, and I would say, as we as we start to think, okay, how how does how does this architecture of rhetoric work? You kind of start with two pillars of rhetoric, and, and really they are called the two pillars of rhetoric. I'm not not just making that up as part of my uh, analogy here. Um, the the audience and the purpose for your writing. Um, and I think authors who are, are highly successful have considered those two things. Who are you writing for? And what are you trying to accomplish with your writing? Uh, so those two things, the, the, the pillars of audience and purpose, become what holds up all your writing. And, and if you look at 
bad writing, usually one of those things has been forgotten. Look at good writing, <laughs> and they're both considered throughout the whole piece, I think. So what is persuasion in writing and the three modes? Okay. So yeah, in Aristotle's definition, he talks about rhetoric being the art of finding all the available means of persuasion. So some people tend to think, well, classical rhetoric then is just about uh, getting people to believe what you want them to believe, you know, getting them on your side, which can be true to some extent, but there's more to it than that. And I would argue that all writing is persuasive in some form. So even if you're if you're writing fiction, you're trying to get your your readers to love the characters that you love and to um, dislike the antagonists. Um, and so you are um, you know looking at those sorts of things as 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 what you're persuading somebody towards. Um, if we think too about the second definition of rhetoric that I gave earlier about Quintilian, who says that it's a good man speaking well, there's actually an emphasis there on trying to convince people of the truth. And I think as Christian writers, that's particularly useful to us. Um, that no matter what we're writing, whether it's an article for something or a piece of fiction, um, whatever we may be writing, we're always trying to communicate some truth about God and the world and um, and the eternal truths of Christianity. So those those are kind of how we're we're thinking of the persuasion that's going on. So then. In classical rhetoric, we talk about three modes of persuasion that you referenced, and those have to do with the the, um, the three essential aspects of writing that I mentioned before. So, we have the author, and the author can uh, can help persuade people by what the Greeks would call his ethos. That means your personal character or reputation. Um, if you've written a bunch of books, people know something about you as an author, and so they know what to expect from you. So that's that's your ethos. Um, but even if you haven't written something before, just the way that you write as people start to read, they, they get an impression of you as the author, and that helps to persuade them. Uh, the second of the three modes is pathos, which um, is helping the audience to feel what they should about the topic at hand. So to not manipulate people's emotions, but to help them share an empathy for what you are talking about. And then the third mode of persuasion is logos, which is just the logical or literal content, the rational content of your writing. You know, you can you can have something that's very emotional, um, but that doesn't actually say a lot. Well, that's not useful. We need to have actual good rational content to our writing as well. Mm -hmm. So then with all of this, how do we as readers also encounter all of these things in all of the, all of the things that, that we read? Right. So I'm going to go back to my little analogy of architecture. You know, you enter a building and you may not think about the architecture. Some buildings you do, you're just awed by the architecture. Mm -hmm. A lot of buildings, you don't think about it at all. But every 
building had a blueprint uh, or at least some sort of plan, or maybe it just got thrown up haphazardly, but there was something that went into the construction of it, right? And that ha is true of writing as well. So um, I'll just kind of briefly um, condense uh, what, what are known as the five canons of rhetoric. We're going to skip a couple of them that don't deal so much with writing. But any piece of writing has um, begins with invention, an author deciding what he or she is going to write. Or, you know, in the architectural analogy, what kind of building are you are you making? Um, so you have to to start with that, and then there's the arrangement of it. How how do the rooms flow? Um, you know, what what sort of pattern do we have to your thoughts as a writer? Um, and then the style which is uh, the, the specific words, the arrangement of the words, the sentences and the paragraphs and so forth that an author uses. And that's sort of the, the design and decoration uh, that we see in a room. And that's maybe more visible to us as readers than the other things. But if you don't have, uh, as a writer, a, a good plan for your whole uh, architecture of your piece of writing, um, the style isn't going to save it, even if you have really nifty little turns of phrase going on. So, um, you know, th there's so much that that I would love to to cover in more detail, but I'll just mention that, you know, we we see this form of style in in writing all the time. And again, we might not be aware of it, but um, the the uh, the, the classical rhetoric way of talking about it is the schemes and the tropes, the ways of arranging words or using words um, in, in metaphorical ways. Those are, are the embellishments that we often see and that make us aware of the planning that's gone into something. I'll just mention, because I know that um, you had done the, the challenge of, of memorizing the Athanasian Creed, and I think anybody that has <laughs> gone through that could see some of these uh, schemes and tropes that show up where there is repetition of things in a certain pattern, um, a certain uh, arrangement of things. When you start to notice that, you know, oh, there's probably a whole bunch of rhetorical underpinnings to this. Your final thoughts or encouragement for aspiring writers and maybe even for readers too, as we... Uh, as we consider this um, rhetorical, I'm sorry, rhetorical architecture. <laughs> I wanted to say rhetoric, but um, <laughs> yes. rhetorical architecture. Sorry. No. Yeah, there's there. It's a wonderful subject. There are lots of books you could find on it um, if you're interested in looking at more. Um, I think my my basic encouragement for authors is start with that uh, what I referenced of the two pillars of audience and purpose. Before you write anything, think about who are you writing for and what do you really want to accomplish with this? And those things, if you, if you pin those down, you will have the basis of a good piece of writing. As Christian writers, I also think it's so important to, to keep in mind that definition from Quintilian and to be the good man, the good author who's persuading people to believe the truth, not just wowing an audience, not just winning an argument, um, which is easy to do or, or to, to, to fall into, um, especially in, you know, social media world. 
But <laughs> as Christian authors, we have a vocation to to lead people um, to to seek the good of the audience by bringing them to believe the truth, which we accomplish through the beauty of carefully planned and constructed writing. And then I'll just say for readers, um, your job in in rhetoric is to be a sympathetic audience. Give the the author the benefit of the doubt. Try to uh, believe that that he does want to convince you of the truth, and and let your your reason and emotion guide you um, towards that truth. Where can we find uh, some of your writings or things that that you've put out? Well, uh, writing uh, time for me is uh, sometimes <laughs> uh, limited by uh, life with a toddler now, but I have uh, in the past <laughs> written a few things for the Lutheran Witness. Uh, occasionally, I um, have had things published in online in the Federalist or um, the blog Sister, Daughter, Mother, Wife. Um, so you might look there and... Who knows where else things might turn up. (laughs) (laughs) Heather, thanks so much for joining us today on The Coffee Hour. Thank you. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. 